collective power. We are out to transform trauma system-wide by presenting a mirror of the system to itself. Each month, we focus on one system, and each episode, we focus on one person's experience and their angle. At the end of each month, we bring all those angles together to reveal a new big picture. Stay with us to discover our collective power and what's possible for our city, for our country, and our world. I am Dr. Rita Fierro, and I am your host. Dr. Fatima Hafiz is an educator, a master facilitator, a community activist, and you have a wealth of experience in community healing and anti-violence work. You've done a lot of anti-violence work in Chester, PA, and I'm going to ask you a lot about that today. So just like an oversight of the theme for this month, right? Mm -hmm. So collective power every month takes on a theme, and generally it's a system. Before the first month, we're looking at healing fractals. So we're looking at dimensions of healing and how they work from the smaller to then the bigger picture. And last week, we looked at personal healing and we looked at dimensions of personal healing. So this week, we'll be looking at community healing and then next week at racial healing. And then we'll go a little bit, expand a little further on systems. And our major focus is revealing how systems work in all the aspects of what we do. And I know that you're as committed to personal stories as I am because lives are so rich and as human beings we go through so much right and oftentimes it's personal life that gives us the insight of the bigger picture so in that regard I'd love to hear a little bit about you and why is healing so important to you thank you for that generosity uh, in terms of speaking into what your experience of me is it helps me to be recreated every time I hear that. So thank you, Rita. And your question is what brought me to healing? I would love to hear more about yourself as okay. it relates to healing. So like okay. any any personal story you can give us that would give us both who Fatima is yeah. and how healing became such an important part of your life. So you mentioned being an educator and I have been on a journey of of being, quote, an educator for some time. And one of the ways that I've thought about education is in the ways in which we have relationships inside of institutions. And my work began, in terms of my professional work, it began with me working with, with students and with educators inside of urban spaces. But before I go there, I will just say that my own personal life, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. And during that that period, I was a product of what an urban environment when you are under-resourced and when there's racial tension and when there are other obstacles that prevent you from actually seeing yourself. So I grew up in Newark. Um, I always say that I was raised in North Carolina. My great-grandmother raised me. I am the product of a generation of women. And when my great-grandmother passed, 
I went to Newark with my mom. My mom had me very early. And the story I really want to tell you in terms of healing has to do with my relationship with my mom. So when I was young, like I said, I was brought up by my great-grandmother. And my mother was 15 when she had me. And at some point, she wasn't allowed back in the house. But my great-grandmother and my great-aunts kept my sister and I and wouldn't allow her. So my mom used to tell me she would stand on the outside of the fence and she would look in and she wanted to bring me these little dresses that she bought, um, but they wouldn't allow her to come in. And I don't know all of the story. However, when I went to school, my sister and I, we used to have to walk across a field to get to school. I had an uncle, Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie was a thief. He was a product of my great-great-grandmother's rape by a person on the slave plantation. Mm. But he was so powerful. And the person who fathered him educated him, even though he was deaf and mute. And he used to stand at a fence. Now, my mom told me about this fence, but he used to stand at the fence. When my sister and I would go to school, he would stand there when we left in the morning, and he would be there when we got back in the evening. So there was this sense of protection that we had. But there was also a void because I would stand at that fence and I would just hope and pray my mom would just come across that field mm -hmm. and she would just, you know, embrace me and I wouldn't feel the way I felt in terms of not having a mother present. And so for years, this was a part of me without knowing. And my mom did quite a bit that you don't recognize when you're a teenager just a teenager and you're doing what you do. When we came to live with my mom, after I got married, I got pregnant young. And my mom, after I had my children, she was doing her thing and she wouldn't call me. I wouldn't know where she was for years. And I still felt a void. So she didn't really wasn't present for me with my children in a lot of ways. And so I did a landmark forum, which is a personal education and development program. And I thought I was going to really address issues of self-criticism and and issues of not being enough and all of those things that come up in our being. And what I got from it was a new relationship with my mom. When after the weekend of that course, my mom hadn't contacted me for a number of years by this time. During that period, she called. Wow. She finally let me know where she was. And I knew she was in the Texas, Oklahoma area. When she called, after I finished the forum, I got on a plane and I went to Texas and I, I called her and I said, I'm here. And she said, you here? You here where? What, what do you mean you here? Right? <laughs> after how many years? After uh, three or four years. Right? Wow. Right? What do you mean you here? Right? So when I drive up, she's in a complex that's got a fence around it. Mm. And I get to get out of the car and I see her coming out of her apartment and running towards me with her arms open. Mm. And in that moment, something shifted in me because I had this story about her about abandonment, about all the things that we experience and we interpret. And so when that gate opened and I ran and hugged her and she hugged me, that experience was one of the most powerful experiences in my life. It helped me to realign my spirit, my heart, and my soul in ways that nothing else could have done. And so part of it was me stop telling myself about who she was and just be with her. So now this is where I began to talk about the healing, right? Yeah. So for me, that was a healing that couldn't have happened any other way. In terms of my forgiveness, 
And my mom just being who she was, given the period of time that she grew up, what she had. And I began to think, I have children and I've tried to be for them what I wanted or thought that I wanted from my mom. And you thought she wasn't. That I, right. <laughs> And so I think that that's where my actual healing began. And mind you, I had already completed a PhD. I didn't, uh, I, I hadn't graduated high school, but I went through the, the emotions. I, you know, got a GED, got college credits, architectural um, certificate mm-hmm. in terms of architectural drafting. Like yeah. the whole journey was really back to myself. And back to the relationships that really matter. And so, you know, PhD, all of that, that didn't bring me to understand something about who I was being in relationship to the work. And I'm going to say the work and not a job, right? Yeah. So it's the work. It's what we feel called to do. And for me, I feel called to have people heard, to have people be present to who they are as extraordinary human beings. And my work actually has led me to the work that you want to talk with me about. That's where I am. I don't know if that gives you enough about how I got here. And I'm sure there's plenty more. Yeah. But that's where I am right this moment. Um, Thank you for that experience and um thank you because like even these first like 10 minutes whatever you did what i know you to do so well right which is to go deep and real and alive fast um and yet you have a way of doing it that's also gentle right um some some of us like go deep and fast in a way that can really irk the hell out of people and sometimes that's a gift too but i really appreciate in you that you're you're able to go deep and gentle at the same time that's the grace that i'm trying to cultivate (laughs) you have it girl you got it <laughs> nothing to cultivate there yeah um I've always known you to be that way that's what I'm saying thank you and if it's the result of struggle and learning and healing well all the more honor to you but as long as I've known you you've had it so oh. thank you for that so thinking about this like really powerful experience you've had and I keep on saying experience because I think in kind of academic world we talk about stories a lot right narrative like personal stories and things like that and one of the things I got present to in my work is that we also use stories for things that are fiction. And so when I worked with folks in the community, they've been like, story? What do you mean my story? This is my life, right? right? So if I slip, no, the intention is to say experience. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear, how would you define healing? Like Mm -hmm. given what you described in terms of your own journey. That last word you said, journey. I think that healing is a journey. And it's a journey not outward, that it's a journey inward. And in the society, everything is outside. Everything is Mm. out there. Everything is about how do I heal this from out there? Now, that is not saying that out there can't have an impact on what kind of healing you might need to experience. But it is not a one and done thing. I think that it is a continuous process yes. to, and there are five domains that I think about healing in. Mm-hmm. One is the physical domain. The second is the mental domain. The third is the emotional domain. The fourth is the relational domain. And the fifth is in the spiritual domain. So in all of those domains, there's a space for us to really get present to where we are in disharmony with ourselves. And when we're in disharmony with ourselves, when we're in the world, we're in our community with ourselves, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, when we're in disharmony from that central place, then there's disharmony everywhere. And so for me, the idea of healing has to take place in all of those domains. It's not just, oh, I go to like 
Western medicine, you know, because I got a pain over here. Story. So I go to the doctor and it's an osteopathic doctor. I say, you know what? I'm having some pain. I was dancing in August at this event. Oh my God, that was something. And I woke up and my hip was just like out of place or something, right? And I said, and now for the last month, I've been getting tingling in my arms and I went to the heart doctor. Is, is there something wrong with my heart? Da, 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 da. And she said, this is a student doctor because I went to a teaching hospital. And I said, you know, I really believe that something's happening between my hip and my arm because I sleep and I get this tingling. It's all on the same it's side. It's all on the same side. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, there's some connection. She said, oh no, there's no connection. She said, physiologically, it's just not connected. So, okay. So your facts tell you that my nerve endings are not connected to my whole body, right? Mm-hmm. I said, but the fact is, is when she was saying that in Grace, I said, oh, okay, got it. You are saying that, but I'm saying that I trust that my body, I know my body, I know what I feel when I feel. And I said, um, so there's an energetic uh, connection within the body. You know, when we talk about chakras, yep. we talk about chakras and we talk about the, all of these uh, energetic forms that are uh, impacting our physical body. Mm-hmm. There is a wholeness. Like there's a oneness in it all. And when she said that, I was just like, hmm. Okay. And so when a doctor comes in, I say, this is what's happening. He said, oh. And I says, do you guys offer acupuncture? Or do you offer any kind of other alternative ways of looking at the whole body and just give me the diagnosis? And, and he says, oh, of course. You know, now this was surprising to the student. She says, I don't know of anything like that, right? Yeah. So Because exactly. they're not taught that in medical school. Yes. So as a consequence, to answer your question and shut up. <laughs> no, no, don't Is shut that up. healing for me is an insight, is an internal, it's intuitive, it's yes, there are people who can help us see, like become a mirror for what it is. There's opportunities for us to be impacted by external things, but the real opportunity to heal by ourselves is from yeah. the inside out. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for that. So just to highlight, so the different dimensions of healing you were highlighting. Mm-hmm. So spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and relational. I really appreciate that. I spent some time in Ghana doing an independent study on healing from West African approach in 2002. And one of the things I was really impacted by is that in the West African worldview, healing is not, not just physical. And there's also a social dimension, right? So if you don't have a job, you would still go to the shaman because there's still the sense that something's out of balance in terms of there's something's out of balance if you're persistently like not manifesting Absolutely. basically right if your outsides don't look like your insides mm-hmm. something's something's out of balance exactly yes. what you were saying or yes. out of harmony yes. and, and you kind of brought that in the relational, relational component and then there's a spiritual component too um one of the reasons that i thought it was really important to devote the first month of this radio show to healing is that when i think a, when a lot of people think about health they don't necessarily think about healing the way I know like you as one of my kind of sisters in in your own journey but also in a collective journey think about it and the way I've experienced it having like 20 years of healing work Mm -hmm. since my bottom I have had like undiagnosed depression probably my whole life or since my teens yeah um, and 20 years ago is when I kind of hit my bottom. Yes. And then the healing journey was kind of like from there, yes. right? And it entailed doing exactly what you were saying, which was looking like journeying within from the spiritual, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the relational, and mm-hmm. like give up blaming everybody else and starting to figure out that I felt like crap, not be- really because the boyfriend had left me and treated me like crap, but he had done that too. But you <laughs> yeah. know, there's that dimension because the outside... 
but the, the whole the whole concept of healing is that the outsides reflect the inside right. and so we heal the inside first and then the outsides mm-hmm. change yeah it's first and us simultaneously like when we can heal inside there's a countenance that starts to show up in your being and just that countenance and when I talk about energy it also impacts those out there and they see something and they don't know exactly what it is they see and they don't know how to ask well what do you do or what's going on you know why you look younger right or why you look like this (laughs) you look younger no I got enough sleep and I ate right no you're like no no you literally look at like you literally look like you gave up a bunch of stuff that Drop that bag. your shoulders that's right that's um, right yeah i think people look brighter when they heal that's yes. one of the one of yes. the aspects or when they're on on their journey that's the light yes yeah yes yes which is our essence so yes. we just come back to what's more of our essence all right, so let's mm. think a little bit, thinking about what you just said, right? Mm. So healing as a bringing back of harmony on mm. all those levels. Mm-hmm. What does community healing look like? Oh, now that's so interesting. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Um, so for me, we've just been talking a lot about the individual healing, uh, what happens to the individual. But in terms of society, when you're talking about societal issues and relations and so forth, community healing is when we, in a collective conversation around what's, that's one aspect. Many cultures across the globe, it is not an individual healing like in Western uh, culture, Western culture is that you are, you know, maybe even you are the problem or you're the victim, or you're the this, you're the that. Yep. And it is not uh, a part of what's collective. And so community healing for me is when we connect. One of the projects in my organization is creating community conversations for connection and creating these connections and these conversations, the first step. And then for me, if in fact, we can hear each other. We can hear each other's stories. We can hear each other's pain. We can hear each other's suffering. Then we sit in a space where we can have, develop and cultivate more compassion for one another. And so that collective or that community healing is... It's not an individual thing. And I'm not saying that individual. we don't need individual healing modalities. We do. But in terms of creating communities that honor and are compassionate, that can really address some of the issues around violence. Because violence for me is not just because somebody got shot, you know, the gun violence or stabbed or, you know, are just, um, you know, loss in that sense. But violence... Mm-hmm comes from our language. It comes from how we interact with each other. It comes from how I see you, right? If I can't see you, then I can be violent in ways that I don't even realize I'm violent. You know, I'm just, I'm just doing what I think I do. Oh, I'm doing what I do. Yeah. And so for me, until we can see one another and really ask a question, how is your health? If I look at you, like we walk down the street and uh, we say, hey, how you doing? And you don't really want them to say, hey, you let me let, sit down for a minute. Let me tell you really how I'm doing. That's oh, right. I'm okay. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And I always ask this question. You good? Tell me how you good, right? So yeah. it's like we have to be invested in ourselves and each other enough to see one another. Mm. And we can only do that when we come together. And so I'm not averse to the way the technology is emerging around virtual spaces and so forth. But there's also the need for the human interaction, for the human being to sit across from another human being and really just unpack. Mm. And so with healing... 
And our institutions can't do that because I know that the institutions can't hold that space. So the tagline of my organization is from empty places to healing spaces. Inside of those places, there's an emptiness for the humanity of all of us to show up. You mean in academic spaces? In academic spaces, yes. We segment and we separate and we disconnect. And this is what, you know, this journey around community healing is about reconnection to each other, but also healing and not another conversation, but not just the hearing the stories about what's happening now as relates to violence and trauma, but what has been the historical context for group and collective trauma? Mm -hmm. What has been the story? And we start with the story. A couple of friends of mine who do work with Palestinians and Israelis, I read something, and I don't know where their quote came from, but it says, an enemy is a person whose story you don't know. Oh, I love that. And if you don't know a person's story, we create all kinds of stuff about them, and we can't see them, and we can't be with them. That's right. You know, so that's for me, and I don't know if that answers your question about community, what, what is community healing for me, but it's always emerging. It's always emerging, but there are some structures that can be put in place for, you know, that emergence to happen organically, I think. Beautiful. I love that. So tell me about how, like, what you just laid out in terms of community healing has contributed to your work. You know, part of why I invited you for this show was because I I don't think a lot of people have seen community healing. Mm -hmm. I recently was, was the evaluator of a project that was like engaged racial healing. And when we asked a group of people to bring us an example of racial healing, we realized everyone had the example of racial conflict. No one had the example of racial healing. And uh, so at that point, we asked them to envision what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And this was a group probably of predominantly white folk, now that I think about it. No, it was, it was fairly mixed. Mm-hmm. It was fairly mixed. So I think part of what you're holding that I think is so powerful like a message for our city and for our world is that it can happen, right? And you know what it looks like. Like you've seen some of those tangible ways in which communities can heal. And I think that's really hard many of us to envision or describe because we know what community conflict looks like, right? Mm-hmm. We know what it looks like to have the riot. We know what it, or the revolt, depending on your perspective, right? <laughs> we know what it's like to see people shouting each other down on the street. Mm-hmm. We know what it's like to cast aside and live in the face of disposability pro- politics yes. in both like historical trauma and yes. local trauma, right? Yes. We know what that looks like. And I think many people lose hope because they don't actually know what else it could look like. Mm -hmm. So paint a picture, if you will, of kind of a little bit of what you did in Chester, but also like paint some pictures for us about literally like what is possible with community healing and like what are some examples of what you saw as a result of your commitment, which I know was was not a short term commitment. And um, one of my mentors, Peter Block. Uh, so Peter Block is Yay. one of the gurus of, you know, OD. Yeah. And Organizational also, development. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you. And also small cuss. One of the things he said to me is that you have to be willing to commit some time when you want to work in communities that have had the impact. And my husband used a lot of words like oppression and all of that, right? But had a lot of impact from the conditions that diminished the human spirit. 
you need to give time. So I want to just share with you a little bit about this project in Chester. When I'm so, not going to give the whole story getting there. And uh, you were just about to share about your work in Chester and how you were committed for the long haul. And like, what does community healing look like? One of the first things I want to say about going into a community, because the community are engaged in what they're engaged in. And they see what they see. And they're doing what they do. And what is necessary is the establishment of relationships. So all of my work is about relationships. And I am developing myself around relationships. Always constant. It is not something that, oh, I know what to do. Because going into Chester, I didn't know what to do initially. I had some support from a psychologist, a social psychologist. His name is Charles Rajman. And Charles Rajman does work in France and in Germany and in Palestine and in Israel. Mm. And recent work in Rwanda, where people who were involved in the genocide there were coming home from prison. And they had to live together with the people who they killed people's families and mm -hmm. so forth. And so his work has been very powerful in my understanding around, you know, bringing people together who are in the throes of violence. I was called to Chester after some relationships had developed from some other work prior because there was a shooting in Chester. Uh, nine young people were shot at a birthday party. Mm. Two of those young people passed away. And the president of the hospital system, Patrick Gavin, when I met him, I said, here is an enlightened person. I said, because we talked, I said, you know, we're here and what we want to do has everything to do with public health and what it means when we talk about public health. And he was like, yes, because I've been involved in public health. And I was saying, like, I have to get my mentor to help me kind of come in here and do this. And he's in France. They wouldn't let him in the country. And so he was supposed to Skype and all kinds of things happen. So I'm standing in the room with uh, Patrick Gavin, his staff, uh, all of the community folk who were invested in doing something about what had happened with this shooting because the city itself had become paralyzed. And he said, he looked at his staff. He says, well, he's not here. Do you think that she can do it? And everybody, he says, I know you can do it. I was standing there. Now, this is where compassion and community comes in. So I was standing there. I was very nervous because I really didn't have a very good clue about how this was. I was flying blind. And he says, Fatima, he says, would you like a glass of water? And it was the most compassionate thing to say to me at that moment. So when he gave me the glass of water, Water, I took a sip and then I began to share with them a vision for how we could do this together. Oh, beautiful. And so from that, we began to design what it was. And Charles Rajma was here the very first time it happened. And so he did a little bit of work with me in Chester. And let me just be quite honest. I didn't want to take white folks into a community and now they got all the solutions, you know, yep. to That's everything. Right. That's right. And I said, the solution is right here. And Charles helped me to understand that the people People have the solution. You know, you got to go in and realize that you don't know. You just don't know. And so we had designed something and we decided that we were going to have parallel conversations with people who in this structure was on a hierarchical level. So you have the you have the president of the hospital system. You have the government officials, the mayor, the city council. You have the executive directors of the 
organizations. And so then they're supposedly top. And then you have human service providers. Mm -hmm. You have those people who come in, uh, therapists or nurses and doctors Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those professional human service providers. Then you have residents. And the residents are people who own homes, people who rent homes, people who are returning citizens from incarceration, people who are transient through the space. So you have all this happening. And then you have one last group. Now, this last group are young people. And usually with the violence, young black males are the blame for all of the violence. And people just push that onto them as if violence is not happening in all these other spaces. So we created a space, and thank you Rita, because Rita helped me with regards to some of the design and evaluation of it. But we created this space where there were parallel conversations with the very same questions around what was happening for them. And and we wouldn't allow them to blame another group. So this was a within group. We wouldn't allow them to blame the other group. We wanted to shame them. We wanted to label them. We didn't allow them to name people. We just had them in a conversation about what's in this group right now. And what they came to realize was that there's violence in every group. Yes. And how that violence shows up may be a little different, just like policymakers. So policymakers make policies many times because of a personal interest, a personal thing that has happened. Sometimes it's about their constituents in terms of relationships. But we make decisions that impact others. And we don't realize we're making those decisions. Found violence in every group. So the government officials and the president, they decided after our conversations, we can't say that we are at the top. You know, because my goal and the intention was to bring the top down and the bottom up so that they could have a horizontal conversation around the issue of violence and what was happening there in Chester. And it took time to do that. And in each group, it was a different kind of time. So the people at the top, they could meet once a month. Nice plush Mm -hmm. thing in a meeting, right? And then the human service provider, they could meet two, three times a month because first of all, they're professionals, they're getting paid so they could meet more times. The community the community would meet once a month and when the community met, this is where I began to see why community healing was so important. Is that I remember one, it was a Saturday and it was a huge snowfall and the community came out and we were engaged in the design of this conversation. We usually do it two hours. We were there five hours in the snow and the community and the reason why I think is because their voices had not been heard and they hadn't heard each other's voices and it was just so powerful and where two young men who had been incarcerated from stuff they grew up in Chester that were at each other they came together in this community setting and things shifted for both of them they were able to really embrace and acknowledge what had happened as young people had been incarcerated but for me it was a way of healing that was happening right there it was right in front of us. So then the last group, this young black males from ages 16 to 27, we went to the project. We went to William Penn Projects. We went to the Bennett. We went to the various projects. And we went to the various projects and sat with these young men. And what they said to us was that nobody's ever come to ask us how we felt. These two young people who were killed came from that community. Mm-hmm. And they said no one has ever sat with us to talk with us. And they asked us, can you come every day? And when they said that, we couldn't come every day, but what they were saying is we need healing. We need help. We need to be able to tell what's happening for us. I can't even paint the picture of the experience of that. For me, that these young people felt they didn't have a right to the city and what others would say, these are gangs. But the fact is, is that they were in their rear block radius and there were others in there. So to tie it all up uh, in terms of why it's important for communities to heal, in Chester, one 
two young men who was killed and one of the ones who were quote the shooter were cousins and didn't know they were cousins. So in Chester, wow. there's family across these artificial boundaries of East and West Side. Mm. And I began to do research and there's a book called Root Shock. Root Shock is talking about the Highway 95 and how Highway 95 went through black communities mm. and separated those communities. Yes. And so you have one side of the community that's extremely in poverty and issues and the other side of the community trying to make it, you know, it's more better homes. So community healing for me in Chester has netted so much. We did a lot of theater there with community to bring people into some awareness of seeing each other. Butch Slaughter did a thing around forgiving his story and brought people together and him and I worked together. We collaborated to get people in conversations and other people started to share how perhaps something that happened to them that just never got air. Sue, thank you so much Mm -hmm. for painting that picture for us. Mm -hmm. And I love that you gave us a little bit about the process. You gave us this gorgeous image of these two youths kind of coming to terms and being witnessed by community, right? Which is often what healing requires. So when I heard in the youth that said, can you come every day, is that the yearning to be witnessed was and seen, right? You had said that from the beginning. The need to be like witnessed and seen was so profound that it's like you could be here every day and we could still have the need to be witnessed because there's so much that I'm holding within that I haven't been able to express and so if I can hold you one more minute I would just love to hear so that's like kind of the micro level and the process I'd love you to just describe how the work started and I know you were active in this community how many years started in 2012 seven years great so seven years of creating conversations where people could be witnessed creating conversations where we give up blame we get honest about how we're violent in the small things and the big things six seven years of this and if you look at that community now if you could just paint a picture of what those six or seven years of not one of those examples Mm -hmm. right but many many that happened in front of you and many that happened behind your back because you actually built people's capacity to do that within their own communities right so if you think about that proliferation of conversations where people felt seen and heard and witnessed and took responsibility for the ways we're violent as Mm -hmm. opposed to blaming other people Mm -hmm. if you think about all of that what is it that you see like after six or seven years yeah and paint a picture for us so that we can see what you see so after we did public theater presentation of what people have been experiencing they began to look at family life and looking at family life is part of what creates community families create community and after this theater public theater we did it in three locations one during Islamic event, uh, one at the hospital public event, and we did another one. Did we do this one at a large, large event? But after that, I realized that the young people who were impacted, because a lot of people came on me, I'm thinking about Lisa Dennis, thinking about Raheem, I'm thinking about Cole, and they went back to school, and they became liaisons for the mayor. So Mayor Lender, he was a city councilman at the time that we were doing the project, and he was fully invested. He was engaged, and he became mayor. And when he became mayor, he decided that there were nine neighborhoods that could use this conversation. And so what he did was development that Lisa, Dennis, and Rahim, they became liaisons from the mayor's office to the community and Mm. began to create conversations in those communities that hadn't had it. And so it's still raising the awareness, and it was seeds that were planted 
planted. And so other people like Devin Wall and others who are artists in the city has really blossomed. They realize what is the importance of the economic development in Chester because people can't thrive if there's no economy. And so they began to pull together. And since then, you have Pennsylvania Humanities Council has now come in and now working with that, bringing in some dollars. And if you would go to Chester now and you go over what the community call Overtown, it is developing. Widener University is still a little standoffish, definitely, you know, has a part in that. And when we start to look at a city like Chester and it being right there on the waterfront and the distance between Chester and D.C. and the distance between Chester and New York and the cost of living, that a lot of gentrification is going to start to happen there. And we see that, we see it coming, but the beauty is that from that work, the people in Chester have decided that they're going to take responsibility and control over how that happens. So that's what I can paint for you. I didn't go back and do a follow-up survey. I didn't do any research, but I can see it. And I'm still there and I'm developing young people to do meditation classes for young people in after school. I have two young people that grew up with me uh, in the work I was doing at the Chester Community Charter School. And now they're getting out of high school and they come back and they do the summer program with me. They do the meditation. They're working with me now doing the meditation for three to five graders. And then I'm I'm still there because I'm bringing uh, meditation and conversations to parents across the whole city in Chester. So that's how it looked. Thank you for that like <laughs> testimony and yeah. experience. I think it's it's really brilliant. This whole mm. piece around the community really having a say on how the how the city goes. Yes, I think is huge. I had to have vision around what I saw. I would sit and think about Chester being this points of light. If someone was in space, they would look down and Chester would be a bright light. And the other oh, part wonderful. was to see that young children could ride their bikes across that four point something square mile city that they could ride their bikes without ever fear of violence or being harmed. And everyone would be present to who these young people are. And I've seen young people riding bikes across the city. And so we got to hold the vision for it and then let it unfold. Love that. Thank you. I just want to make sure that people have a way to get in touch with you. So is there a website or any events you have coming up that you want to share? Go for it. So the website is www.thetgroup, T-H-E-T-E-A, G-R-O-U-P. Our organization is called Transformative Education Associates. You can reach us by going to that website or emailing us at info at thetgroup.org. And a couple of events that are coming up is we are looking at doing a healing tour. Uh, We're looking to pilot with uh, one small city. Right now we're looking at Camden, Trenton, Newark, Chester uh, to pilot. And this healing tour has to do with bringing in alternative healing modalities practices to these under-resourced communities so they can have experience with themselves that are outside of the regular. So we keep you informed about that. If you go to our website, you'll be updated around that as well as I'm working with Tupac Shakur's sister. Her mom and I were very good friends Mm -hmm. and we helped to establish foundation in 1997 when Tupac uh, passed away. And we are working on looking at how to raise awareness around mental health inside of our communities as well as working with families. So I'll be doing some work with her in Marin City, 
California, in uh, Kansas City, and in Atlanta. And so we'll keep you updated on, come to our website, you know, give us a call. And you can call me too at 610-803-1673. Dr. Fatima Hafiz, thank you so, so much for spending this time with us today. We'll also have your website and your contact information on our website, which is www.collectivepowermedia.com. And thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, This is always a pleasure. Thank you. And next week's show will be about racial healing. And our guest will be Juanita Roberson. Thank you for your commitment to seeing the big picture and what that makes possible in your life in our city. Thank you for listening to another episode of Collective Power. If you're interested in supporting our work by either being a guest on our show, recommending a guest on our show, writing for our upcoming medium publication, or donating to our work, look us up on our website, www.collectivepowermedia.com. Thank you for your courage to see the bigger picture. And until next week, drop the mic.